Welcome back. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Sean McAdoo with you for the next hour or so. Uh, coming up, we're going to figure out what the Colorado Avalanche have to do to rebound after a Game 5 collapse on a home ice. Boy, we were so close. Or we're still really close to McKinnon-McDavid in the next round. We'll talk about that. Uh, McDavid with just an unbelievable run so far to start the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, so we got so much to get through. Jesse Granger for Granger things. We got a voicemail from a listener. Uh, some This Week in Hockey history that takes us back to some New York Rangers related stuff from the 80s and 90s. So we get got to get to all of that. Uh, let, let me kick off this podcast by by saying, Sean, I'm coming to you and our listeners in the from literally in the dark here. Yeah. Um, and I feel like yeah. maybe I brought this upon myself because uh-huh. on last week's pod, on the Thursday uh, episode of the Athletic Hockey Show, I made an Amish-related reference to the Calgary Flames. And since then, I have been living without power and electricity. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think I, like, maybe now this all has to come full circle. I need to finish this podcast Admit that making the Amish uh, comparison was uh, offside, and then I'll get my power back by the end of the show. Yeah, and in case people are wondering, like Ian and I literally live five minutes apart. <laughs> he has not had power for the better part of a week. We never even lost it in my neighborhood. Uh, we're we're doing just fine. So I'm not saying, but I mean, I'm not not saying it either. I think you're. Uh, I hope the lesson's been learned. Yeah. And I think you have to, uh, yeah, figure out a way to make amends or make like some joke about a futuristic society where everybody has <laughs> sufficient electricity yeah, and doesn't yeah. have to go and pour gas in a generator to do a podcast, which is the most 2022 sentence I think, yeah. uh, I think we can come up with. Yeah, I literally had to top up, yeah, a generator with gas just to get this podcast going, get the Wi-Fi going. So, and even like last That's night watching, <laughs> it is commitment right and, there. And you know, you got to time it out, like because uh, it, it lasts about six hours. But you know, got to time it out. And last night, I'm thinking, okay, Avalanche and Blues. When it was, you know, a three goal Avs lead, I'm like, I don't know, is it worth it? We're paying two dollars a liter for gas. <laughs> Is it worth it for me to top it up to watch the end of the game? And then I, I'm following along. I'm like, oh, maybe I need to top it up. And uh, and sure enough. And so that's where we're going to start because uh, I thought on a couple of occasions last night, the Avs had that thing in the bag on, on Wednesday oh, yeah. night, right? Like, yep. I mean, the three-goal lead for sure. But then, you know, Nate McKinnon scores that goal. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But, I mean, the Colorado Avalanche have these labels, Sean, from the last couple of years that they can't close out, they can't get past the second round. And you kind of feel like those demons came back, the ghosts came back on on Wednesday. So, like, where do they go from? Like, how do you come back from something like that? That's that's it. I mean, it's, it's a tough one. And look, uh, one thing that all the smart people tell me is that game-to-game momentum in the NHL playoffs is vastly overrated. It is a virtual non-factor. Once they drop the puck, it's it's a new game, and momentum within that game maybe sometimes is is uh, it can be a factor. But game to game, you don't worry about it. So in that sense, hey, if you're Colorado, you're looking at this going, we're the better team. We've got two chances to win one game. Uh, we should be fine. Uh, you know, against a Blues team that doesn't even have their starting goaltender. So. We should be we we should win this, um, 
But man, for for a team that has this this weird hump to get over, this isn't the team that can never make the playoffs. This isn't the team that can never get never win a playoff round. But they can't get out of the second round. It's been twenty years for this team, uh, and they cannot get out of round two. And uh, we look, we all had the story written last night. It was the the dragon had been slayed, and you know now uh, the the avalanche were on their way. And like I said on Twitter last night, that we apparently forgot to send the script to the St. Louis Blues because <laughs> yeah. the coronation uh, that that we had all uh, planned to attend last night didn't end up happening. And you know what? I I mean, we're gonna talk about the Avalanche because that's that's the nature of this. But let's just take a few minutes and talk about the St. Louis Blues. And this yeah. team does not quit. This team uh, just absolutely, you know, down three nothing in another team's building in an elimination game in a series that everybody said you were going to lose. I mean, you're, you're done. Pack it in and, uh, you know, good season and, and you move on. They refuse to do that. Even after the McKinnon goal, you know, to come back with a minute left and tie it up. Uh, you know what? This I've just been so impressed with this team. And let's not forget, this St. Louis Blues team, this is the last Western Conference team to win a Stanley Cup. This is the last of the Western Conference teams still standing to have been to a Stanley Cup final. Uh, they have a claim to say, this is still our conference. This is still our house until somebody takes it from us. And the Avalanche have come very close to doing that, but they haven't yet. And you know what? If you're if you're the Blues, they, they may still lose the series. That's, you know, perhaps the, the most likely outcome. But they're going to go out on their shield. And uh, I've been just so impressed with, with this group, this team. I know Blues fans have been saying, hey, where have you been all year long? We're a 109-point team. Uh, you know, the, look at the numbers. We're, we deserved more respect, more credit than we got all along. Um, and, yeah, part of it is we like the new, the new thing. You know, we've all been waiting – uh, for, for the avalanche, we, you know, the wild kind of came up, uh, a little bit surprised us. And so we all jumped on that bandwagon. Meanwhile, the blues are still here, still saying, you know what, this is ours. Take it from us. And last night, the avalanche could not do it. You know, the abs, do they kind of give you the vibes? Remember when Washington, you talk about, you get trapped in this kind of purgatory where you, like you make the playoffs, you win around, but you can't get to the conference final. Like, the the like the Ovechkin era Capitals that's what I think of right like they they would mm-hmm. always either make the playoffs and then out in the first round or, or oftentimes out in the second round right and usually it was Pittsburgh that would do them in but the Caps could never get to the conference final remember like that that was the I think it was like eight or nine years in a row with Ovechkin really like out in the first round or second round and at some point they got to break through and uh, boy I just I, you're never going to have a better opportunity than what you had. A three-goal lead on home ice in the third period of a closeout game. And then your best player scores, uh, you, you know, a goal that makes you – like, we were all picking our jaws up off the floor when Nate McKinnon mm-hmm. scored that goal. And there's, like, under three minutes to go. You're like, holy smokes. Now we're going to be talking about the best series-clinching goals of all time. And they let it slip through their fingers. And – I want to ask you about that because I saw people saying that's the Nate McKinnon. That would have been the best series clinching goal. Him going coast to coast to cap the hat trick. But my question to you is like, I felt like the Brad may the may day goal, which was overtime back in the day, Buffalo, Boston, like that, that was better. Even Darren McCarty ended up getting, I think the game winner in, in 97 to mm-hmm. clinch the cup for Detroit. 
I felt like those goals were more spectacular than McKinnon's, or am I wrong on that? You know what? It's it would have been a tough one. Uh, you know, Brad May the the fact that it was overtime, and the fact that uh, you know, like like with the Avalanche, it would have been it it had been such a long time for the Sabers to to uh, in their case even get out of the first round. Uh, that was a great one. Um, but honestly, I, I mean, I think the McKinnon goal was better than Brad May. You show that goal to both fans without the audio, because that's the other thing about the Brad May goal is it's the Mayday call, Rick Jenneret, that just elevates that to a whole other level. Um, I, I mean, the Nathan McKinnon goal, I, you know, was was a more skilled goal. I, Brad May had to beat Ray Bork, and, uh, and he did, and that was full credit. But I mean, McKinnon went through an entire team. Um, the, the Darren McCarty goal, I love, I rank that as the best cup winner ever. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone even argued with me and the fact he was the perfect guy to do that for the Red Wings. Um, I would put McKinnon right up there to me, the, the gold standard still remains the, the Steve Eiserman, uh, double OT game seven laser beam. But again, that's a game seven overtime. So that's we're, we're elevating it for that. Certainly for, you know, goals that weren't in overtime. This absolutely would have been right in there. And it was just, I mean, this, again, if you are any kind of a, forget a hockey fan, a sports fan, we know the narrative, right? You know, the, the team, they build up the lead, they let their guard down, they get, they get, they let the other team up off the mat. And then the superstar steps up and says, no, not tonight, not on my watch. I'm doing this by myself. And, you know, I, I was sitting there, believe me, as a Leafs fan. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, this is what we've wanted in Toronto for the last years and years and years. When that moment came, that's what we wanted to see Austin Matthews or Mitch Martin or William Nylander or John Tavares do. And to see Nathan McKinnon, the best player on the team, say, you know what, guys, stand back. I got this one. I'm going to single-handedly win this. And he goes out and he does it. And you're sitting there going, you know, I, I would have given you 100 to 1. That game was over at that point. But yeah. again, we forgot to tell the St. Louis Blues. Uh, and they go and get it done. And, uh, and and then the fact that they win it in overtime, I wouldn't say on a bad goal. Yeah, it wasn't great. But not a great one. No. And that hurts too, because that's always the thing. You know, with Colorado, they're, you know, even though Darcy Kemper had a, had a very good season, um, there's always been a little bit of, you know, doubt that, in the, that they were good enough in, in that spot. And that also... Kind of gives you something. If it had been a bad bounce or a great effort or something, okay, you know what? That's that's overtime. But the fact that it was a bit of a stinker also gives you something to think about. And this is just, you know, again, you you made the comparison to the Capitals. That's a great one. Nine years that they were a dominant team, won three Presidents' trophies, never got out of the second round. Um, obviously, the Leafs comparison is is right there. This is you know th- this is the the rich man's version of the Maple Leafs. They can get out of the first round, but not to the second round. And I know as a Leafs fan. Part of what happens is if it happens enough times, there's always adversity in the playoffs. There's always bad breaks. There's always things that go against you. But when it happens to your team, suddenly you're wondering, okay, is it, here we go again? Is this what we're going to have to hear about all summer? Is this, uh, you know, the how we blew this game? How that goal went in in overtime? And it's it's really up to to the coach and the leaders in the room and everyone to get everyone just calm down and say, no, no, that's we're not going down that road again. We're fine. Um, but sometimes it it ends up that you're not fine, and uh, they're they're playing a real good team. And uh, man, you you don't even want to think ahead. But if they lose this series, like my god, I don't even I don't even know where you go from there. 
Yeah. No, I, 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 I we're probably getting ahead of ourselves, but it's just the, the way that the manner in which they lost, I think it's going to uh it's gonna be a real challenge for them to it, and it gives look, it's an opportunity too, because they can go into St. Louis, tough building, and they have a great game. And and remember, they, they won twice in St. Louis, uh in games three and four. They go in and do it again, have you know, one of those dominant avalanche games, exert their will, then we all say, Okay, you know what, maybe it is different because in previous years they would have crumbled but they did this time. Um, so that's the opportunity. But okay, man, you're in another team's building. You lose that game and then it's game seven. And I feel like all bets are off at that point because we, we all know what everyone's going to be thinking. So we're on the verge. I mean, Nate McKinnon and the avalanche are one game away from getting to the conference final. Connor McDavid and the Oilers one game away from the conference final. And you and I know we've had this conversation in the past. Like the one thing about the NBA is if you think back to, you know, Bird against uh, Larry Bird against Magic Johnson. Um, we we even had Michael Jordan against Magic in a, in an NBA Finals. Think of LeBron against Steph. Like it always feels like you get superstar versus superstar in meaningful playoff games, either conference final or finals. And it feels like in the NHL we don't have that, right? Like Gretzky and Lemieux never met each other in uh, in a playoff series that mattered. Um, mm-hmm. Like like and so. If if we get Nate McKinnon against Connor McDavid in the conference final, is that potentially the best star versus star matchup we've had, like kind of this deep into the playoffs, a conference final or, or Stanley Cup? Because look, I know we got Sid against Ovi, but that was the second round. Like we we mm-hmm. haven't had it deep deep into the playoffs. Like could McKinnon McDavid be the best star versus star matchup we've had either in a long time or maybe you know I, I don't know ever it's- probably seems like a stretch, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure back in you know original six days and and that, but it's yeah, it's got to be up there in in modern times at least, like you know post WHA. Um, it's hard to think of it because you're right, Gretzky and Lemieux is Gretzky and Lemieux is the one that obviously would would trump everything, but we never got that at all. Period, because um, they were in uh, in different conferences, and uh, closest we came was was '93, and it didn't happen. Um, and uh, yeah, we never got Sid versus Ovi past the second round. I was looking back. The one that jumped to mind was, I know we got uh, a few Mario versus Mark Messier matchups when, when he was with the Rangers, but uh, th- those were all in, in round two. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm kind of looking down the list. You know, uh, th- there's so obviously you could look at the um, Detroit and Pittsburgh play back to back and say like, hey, we had, uh, you know, Crosby versus Lidstrom. Slash Datsuk and you know Ray Bork against Gretzky a few times if if we're if we're working defensemen into the mix um, certainly uh, if you, if you want to go even further back the Islanders and Oilers when they played back to back those those were star studded teams I mean we had uh, Gretzky versus Bossy and Potvin and uh, Trache and all those guys but I'm not sure at least recently I'm not sure there's anything that that fits here where you've got the guy yeah. who's clearly the number one player in the world versus the guy who is arguably the number two player in the world. Um, you know, not to mention that, I mean, there's a lot of people that said, hey, let's expand it. Let's turn it into a top 10. Dracidal and Kale McCarr are both on that list too. So um, yeah, it would be great and it'll be fun to to see it if it happens. Uh, and obviously we got two teams that are working hard to make sure it doesn't, but uh that would be fun because right? we don't get this a lot in the NHL. And, um, you know, the, the the greatest probably head-to-head that we've ever seen was the 
the Ovechkin Crosby dueling hat tricks game, yeah. uh, which was early in a round two series. Man, wouldn't it be cool to see that late in a conference final? That would be that would be awesome. Yeah, I I know back in the day, Edmonton and Detroit played in a couple of uh, I guess it would have been what uh, Wales con or uh, Campbell Conference finals, and it would mm-hmm. have been Gretzky against Iserman, but Iserman wasn't quite yeah. Steve Iserman at that point. Right? He was like, the young. That was the young Iserman who was an excellent player, but. Um, yeah, not, not the fully realized version that we got a little bit later. Yeah. So, and then, you know, if you're going to go goaltenders, then obviously we got, you know, we had Patrick Waugh versus Broder and, and, and stuff like that. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, we, Eiserman Sackick, we have to say was certainly uh conference finals with, with Detroit and Colorado and, yeah. and everything involved in that, that would, um, that would be up there as well. But I don't, I think as, as, Phenomenal as both those players were, they were never like head and shoulders best player in the world the way Connor McDavid is. So yeah, this this might one this one might top it. You know, speaking of great goalie matchups, uh, you know, one that we could potentially start to to think about too. Imagine Andre Vasilevsky against Igor Shosturkin in the conference yep. final like that. This is it, it, unbelievable. We have the potential to get McKinnon McDavid. Going end to end in one conference final, and then just a whole bunch of one nothing games. Yeah, <laughs> because the two best goalies, uh, who are both playing real well now, are uh, are just throwing dueling shutouts at each other at the other end. That would be that would be something. And of course, now that I've said that, the Lightning and Rangers would be seven to six games every night, and uh, and yeah. and it would be the the Abs and Oilers who'd be playing the uh, the low scoring stuff. But uh, yeah, that's that would be a hell of a matchup. Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny because right now, look, Connor McDavid is off to a start to the postseason with 25 points in 11 games that, you know, he's, he's producing at a clip that only Gretzky and Lemieux have ever done. Like, I uh, have 25 points in this many games to start a playoff. And Gretzky and Lemieux are the only guys to ever get to the 40-point plateau. Heck, if you even look at 35 points in the playoffs, it's a short list of players in, in NHL history who have been able to get to 35 points in a singular playoffs. McDavid is at 25. At what point do we start talking about Sean? Like he's got potential to get the 40 points in this year's postseason. Is it, mm-hmm. I guess they got to get past this round and then we, we open up our minds to that, that, that conversation. Well, I mean, geez, the way he's playing, if, uh, if they go into round three and it's seven game, I mean, keep in mind, he's, they haven't finished the Oilers off yet. So, or uh, the flames off yet yeah. rather. So, uh, probably another two, three, five points on top of that. He could get to 40 in, in the conference final, which would be just ridiculous, especially to do it in this era. It's just absolute, uh, absolute insanity. Um, it would be, uh, it would really be something. And I, yeah, I, I don't think there's any time I've learned over the years. There's no time that's too early to start talking about Connor McDavid doing something crazy because yeah. he just gets, better and better and better and you know at the very least um one of my cherished favorite records because it's one of the only the very very few in modern times it's held by a leaf but doug gilmore's 35 points for a, a, a uh in the playoffs for a guy who didn't go to the final is uh very much in danger if uh if if Connor mcdavid runs into uh, a tough a tough matchup in the third round because even if, even if you beat the oilers you're not stopping Connor mcdavid you're just no. you're just not. And the as as we're recording this, we're coming off a game where Connor McDavid didn't do too much. So it's it's terrifying to think what 
his rebound game is going to look like. Yeah. And so let me ask you this question. Cause, and, and I know it's, it's kind of apples and oranges cause one guy's a goalie and one guy is uh, a centerman. But if I give you a game seven tonight, I'm like, Hey, Sean, you can have either Andre Vasilevsky or Connor McDavid. You get to have one of them on your team, man. I, I, like, I think I'm going Vasilevsky just because of his, I mean, he plays the whole game, right? Like you're getting 60 minutes yep. of Vasilevsky, but I, it's a good conversation to have because I think, in the past, it would oh easy. You take the goalie, no, you don't even think twice about it. But man, McDavid has gone to another level that makes you think, you know, maybe I take McDavid here. That's it. I mean, it's it's hard not to take Vasilevsky, especially he's playing great right now, uh, and we know his track record in elimination games. I mean, just just ridiculous stuff. And I'm I'm not usually one who likes to you know cherry pick little stats here and there because you can always find weird stuff if you dig deep enough, but. I mean, it's what we're going on seven games now, uh, elimination games in a row, and he's given up one yeah. goal. It, insanity. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I might have to take him just for for that reason. But again, I mean, you're Connor. I mean, having Connor McDavid in your lineup is almost like starting every game with the, with a two nothing lead. The way he's playing right now, I mean, he's going to do two things tonight that are going to lead to a goal that the other team just isn't going to be able to stop. And then what else can we do around that? Uh, to beat the Oilers, and and what can we do when he's not on the ice to try to make up for it? Um, it's a tough call. It it would be legitimately tough, and it it probably wouldn't be with anyone else who isn't at that McDavid Lemieux Gretzky tier. You know, I just to wrap up this conversation since we're talking about goaltending and you know the Oilers. I mean, we we've gotten the full Mike Smith experience in this year's postseason, and and none more so than in that last game, Game Four. When he lets in that goal from whatever 150 feet away, mm-hmm. and that goes in, Calgary ties the game. It's a shorthanded goal. We're all looking around, we're like, "That's that." Like Mike Smith just went full Dan Cloutier or full, you know, w- you know Tommy Salo or like. Here's my question because I'm waiting for the down goes Brown column on you know most deflating or like longest range goals or whatever. And I was waiting. I was like, man. Mike Smith is going to move to the Mount Rushmore of deflating goals if, if when Calgary wins this game. Of course, the Oilers come back and win. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have any recollection of a goalie letting in such a dud goal, and then they win the game? Like this, this was unbelievable to me. They're not in the playoffs off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember the. Did the Devils win that game where Broder had the like awful? Where no. he accidentally threw a stick and it no, they lost. That, that was okay. in Anaheim, I think, in Game Four or three of that yeah. 03 Cup final. That's one that lost. comes to mind. It's, yeah, um, you know, there there have been a lot of bad ones in the playoffs. So I'll give you a regular season one, and it's the one that everybody thinks of, uh, which is the Vesatoskula goal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what people forget, and rightly so, because that goal was hilarious. The final score in that game was three to one. That was the only goal Vesatoskula gave up that night, uh, and the Leafs came back in the third period and won. Three to one, which uh, you know, in theory, makes it maybe a little bit better, but it doesn't because you know you, we all we all still remember that nobody remembers that they beat the Islanders in some meaningless game. Um, playoff style, though, there's got to be some, but yeah, you, you most of the ones that we remember are because it led to a loss. You know, Dan Cloutier being the the classic example, and and on down the list. It's going to be interesting to me. I wonder if in five years. 10 years will remember the Mike Smith goal or whether the fact that the Oilers won means that uh, it kind of disappears out of the, uh, uh, the list of the, of the really bad ones, because um, man, I'm trying to like Roman Chechmanic. They lost that game when he dropped his glove and 
stop paying attention. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, uh, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of playoff games with really, really bad goals. There's got to be some. This is a good one for the, the listeners. Let me know because yeah. I'm sure you've got some for your favorite team that you remember either that they they gave up or that they, they got scored on. But yeah, like I think back Owen Nolan against the Blues um, in 2000, I think it was, with it, a slap it, shot from center Roman ice. Turek, yeah, right? a few seconds yeah. left in the period. They lose that game. Um, boy, that's uh, that's a right. tough one. And it was a big, like, here's the thing on Mike Smith. It wasn't like, oh, the Oilers are up 4 nothing, and he gives up one. It, was, yeah. it tied the game in the third period. Like, you couldn't have a more meaningful, impactful goal and in again, that spot. A, another situation where, as a fan, you're sitting there going, oh, they're done. This yeah. is, they, you know, oh, that right there, that's the goal to kill. And uh, and a full credit to the Oilers. They, they didn't... Uh, uh, they didn't play along with that script and they, they kept pushing on it. And it was like Mike Smith said after the game, now I can laugh about it. Um, and, uh, but if, if he hadn't, oh my gosh, we'd just be, we would have spent the last 48 hours, uh, talking about the Mike Smith crisis. Uh, and instead we got a team that's, uh, potentially hours away from, from going on to a conference final. Yeah. And you're right. This is a great one to crowdsource, uh, from our listeners. Like, cause like you said, we've got fans from probably 31, sure, 32 teams sure right? there's got to be some some good ones out there where your team came back and won but uh boy that t- that bad in that situation that yeah. late in the game uh there can't be many no all right as always on a thursday edition of the athletic hockey show it is time for a little ranger things brought to you by bet mgm the exclusive betting partner with us at the athletic as we bring jesse granger into the conversation um I'd like to ask you the same question I just asked Sean a couple of minutes ago here, and that is we got a, a fictitious Game 7 tonight, and I'm going to give you your choice on Jesse Granger's team. You can have either Connor McDavid or Andre Vasilevsky. Which way are you going? Just based on the way they're playing right now. Yeah, man, that's, that's a really fun question. Um, I think... I like to consider myself part of the goalie union, and I yeah. think they would take my card if I didn't answer Andre <laughs> yeah. Vasilevsky here. Um, but seriously, I'm taking the goalie, um, and especially because Andre Vasilevsky is as good as he is. I think Connor McDavid can have a phenomenal game and and score a hat trick, and you can still lose. Um, if Andre Vasilevsky has a phenomenal game, you aren't losing. Um, as long as you get one, and you don't, you, you might have three, four overtimes. You might have 120 minutes to get that one. The way he's playing, I don't know if he'd ever give up a goal in a game seven. Um, he, man, he, what he did to the Florida Panthers, not just in that closeout game, but the whole series to allow three goals to the highest scoring team in 27 years. Uh, he's just, he's big, he's positional, but he moves like the smaller goalies. It's, he's just, there's, he's such a complete goalie when he's on. Um, the other team's pretty much screwed. I, you know what? And, and it's I, I'd love to get your opinion, both of you, your opinion on this because I've seen the the, the debate being kind of tossed around, like, and it's early because Vasilevsky's got a lot of runway left. Like he's probably got eight to ten years left of being, uh, you know, uh, a goaltender in this league. But at some point, we start to think about, you know, where goalies rank all time, and I'm seeing people saying, look. Vasilevsky belongs already in the same, if you're mentioning Patrick Waugh, Marty Brodeur, Hasek, you know, the think of the best goalies the last 30 years, that Vasilevsky deserves to be mentioned in that same breath. Are you guys on board with that? Or are you still kind of like, 
I maybe just wait and see a little bit more. Or you, you guys feel like, yeah. oh, you know what? He's there. He's arrived. I, I want to wait a little bit. I think it was it was Rick Tockett, I think, who said it was, you know, Vasilevsky's already on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. It's it's been eight years, six years as a starter. Uh, and he's been phenomenal uh throughout all of them. Has a Vezina, you know, two cups, et cetera, going down the list. There have been lots of guys goaltending and otherwise where through six years they look like they were on the trajectory and for whatever reason it doesn't happen so he's certainly on track he's on track to um i would say you know pass and maybe even blow by guys like henrik lundqvist and roberto luongo for the title of best goaltender since that trinity of of wa uh broder and hasek but other than that i'm I'm going to pump the brakes just a little bit because he's it's it's been six years. He's, he's only 27, 28 years old. Long way to go. Um, he might make this a completely no, a complete non-argument by the time he's done. But let's let's get there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Sean. I think his trajectory, I think I'll, I'll say his trajectory right now is to be the best goalie to ever live. I think if he continues on what he's done through six years, if he does that over the next six years, he's the best goalie to ever play this game um but that's not a given and especially with this position specifically it is so difficult to maintain a high level of play for a long time and that's what makes Brodeur and Hashik and Wah so good is they did it for 15 years and it's to me goalie is the hardest position because the results don't always that you don't always get what you deserve as a goalie. A lot of it is based on deflections and screens and second chances. And, and there's just so much you can't control. And you've got to be so good to, to put up elite numbers and get elite results for 15 years. And that's why Wah and Hashik and, and Brodeur are seen in the light that they are. And, and I, don't, I don't think it's a given that Vasilevsky can do that. I think if he keeps playing the way he has... Um, I think I, I honestly think if you're taking each of these guys at their prime, maybe Hashik, he's the one that I say is like maybe he's better than Vasilevsky mm-hmm. just because he used to do ridiculous things. But man, it's hard to say anybody's ever played goalie at a specific point better than Vasilevsky is at his at his top at his peak performance. Yeah, the Martin Broder Vezina finalist at 37, Patrick Waugh, Vezina runner up at 36, finished yep. fourth in his last season at 37. Dominic Hasek obviously went to started later, but went forever. Um, so we we got a long way to go. But I, and I'll say this though about Andre Vasilevsky, and this is the thing that maybe is is the most amazing to me. He is he's got a shot at tracking down Martin Brodeur for the all time wins record, which and I know wins isn't a great stat, but over a career, it's a pretty good one. And uh, Broder, that should have been absolutely, completely untouchable. No chance. Forget it. Put it next to Gretzky and, and it's done. And, uh, you know, Vasilevsky, I think it's with six years in a row that he's led the league in wins. This, he could make it interesting. Yeah, it's a fun it's a fun conversation. And I think we're going to and Sean and I talked about this earlier, Jesse, that wouldn't it be fun? Uh, and this is not meant to be any, uh, uh, you know, we're not trying to slight Carolina fans here, but seeing Shosturkin against Vasilevsky would be a ton of fun in a, in a conference final. And I know that's a, that's one series that you'd like to kind of focus on and just talk about some of the home ice trends because Carolina is doing that classic Jekyll and Hyde thing, right? Where like at PNC, they're dominant. Like they, they haven't lost a game. They go on the road 
whether it's TD Garden against Boston or MSG against the Rangers, and they haven't won a game. And what I, you know, curious, like are, are are the Hurricanes an aberration, or are we seeing that all over the place? Where ah, you know what, home teams are dominating, and then the teams on the road are having a hard time winning. Yeah, I was joking with Rob yesterday during yesterday's show. Um, if they always say the the series doesn't start until the home team loses, so I guess Carolina is still in the regular season right now um, because they the home team has not lost a game in either series. And so, so like you said, it made me curious: is is Carolina the only one doing this? So I started looking it up, and as I'm tallying up the home records, it's actually unbelievable. Um, the home team in these playoffs is 42 and 26 so far. Um, so that's a win percentage of, of 617, which may not sound that high, so over 60%. But man, when you compare what the, the win percentage of home teams have been in the playoffs over the last few years, uh, over 60% win percentage is actually incredibly high. Um, in 2015-16, it was 0.505, so just barely over, over 500. Uh, in 2016-17, it was 540. In 17-18, it was actually the the road teams won more games. It was at 48 percent was the win percentage, and it's and then 51 percent in 2019 and 45 percent last year. It the the home teams have barely had an edge. Um, we're talking by a game or two, and then at sometimes the road team has actually won more. But in these playoffs. The home teams are 42 and 26. It's it's actually insane. I, I don't know if this is just a coincidence that they just happen to be winning this year. I don't know if maybe the fact that we didn't have fans in the stands for two years and, and guys are extra juiced up these atmospheres. I mean, when I watch on TV, I'm jealous. I'm not covering playoff hockey this year. I see in Raleigh, I see what it's like. MSG, it's been fun. I don't know if maybe that has some some contribution to it, but the, the home teams are, are really performing well in these playoffs. Yeah, they're not uh, they're not exactly helping me on my whole the regular season doesn't matter because home ice is meaningless uh, hobby horse that I'm I'm usually on. This is uh, this has been something, and you know what? I'll I'll just say it. I like it. I like that it it feels like home ice matters. It uh, the, you know I like that, uh, the, and yet at the same time doesn't matter so much that you just go oh, why am I even watching the game? It's you know sort of like. Like we sometimes feel about the NBA in the early rounds, it's been. Right. Uh, I think it's been a good mix. Yeah. Hey, listen, Jesse. Before before we let you go, we were talking about Mike Smith's brutal goal that he he allowed from you know 150 feet away or whatever. Uh, you play goalie, right? And you've played goalie for a long time. You need to describe to us the worst goal Jesse Granger has ever given up. Oh, that's okay? perfect. Walk, I I, I have it. the goal. Okay, so um, it was a playoff game. Yeah, and. Actually, it was a championship game in, in oh. the men's league. And, and this is like this is like when I'm older. This wasn't when I was a kid when I actually was like going on like regional tournaments or whatever. This is just me as an adult. It's come to the end of the beer league season and we're in the championship and I skate out. The, the puck's coming down and it's about in my it's in the face off circle to my right. And there's a guy on the other team running to, skating towards it. And I, I skate out to beat him to it. I've got nowhere to pass it in front of me, so I decide I'm going to turn around and rim it around the boards. Oh, no. I turned around and fired it directly into my net. Directly. It didn't touch. It didn't hit a post. It didn't hit a board. It, it wasn't even along the ice. I fired it 
midair into the net like a gorgeous goal just sniped yeah. my own net yeah um and Far then i on. just and then i just turned around and looked at the guys and i'm like sorry guys i don't know how i did that i don't know how i turned around and fired that into my own net we ended up winning the game so it made it a little easier to swallow but uh yes turned just skated out turned around fired it sniped right in my own net worst goal I, I get, ever give two up. things i love about that story number one like a classic goalie there was no hesitation like he didn't have to think or anything. It was just like right there, top of mind. And I also love the fact that you ask a goalie, what's the worst goal you've ever given up? And he tells you a goal that was scored against him, but that like he didn't actually get beat on. Yeah. Like there's no like, you know, it's, you know, it's just it's subtle, but it's not like, oh yeah, I got, I got beat on a hundred uh, foot slap shot. No, no. It's just, I sniped the top corner. You know, what, what can you say? <laughs> Yeah. And you won the game though. That's the important thing. You won the game, you won the championship, but did that goal like did that tie the game or anything or do you remember the score? I yeah, it was close. I don't remember if that tied it or if it put us behind, but it was definitely not a like we're up by 4. This goal doesn't matter. It mattered when when that goal yeah. went in. And everybody looked at me like like they thought I did it on purpose. My fa- my teammates skated back and were like, "Why did you do that?" I'm like, "Well, I didn't try to." Got it had to inspire them though, eh? It's, like it's funny you, though. You that, could, Hey guys, it's not that hard. Come on, right. I can do it. Look. Get out, get out there and score. I've I don't think I've ever given one up like the one Mike Smith gave up, where a guy fires it from the other side. What cracked me up the most, with like talking about goalie mentality, what what cracked me up the most about Mike Smith's goal that he gave up was before the puck even hit the net behind him, he already had his hands up in the air, like mm-hmm. yet, like looking at his teammates, like what are you guys doing? And like I don't, I have no idea yeah. what he was upset with them about, like Mike. They shot it from 150 feet away. You can't let that one in. I think he explained it after that it was more of a, like, I couldn't see it. Like, sort of like a you'd see a baseball outfielder do sometimes. Right. But it looked like that at the time. It was sort of Okay, okay. So he wasn't, okay. Answer me this. Let me, as a goalie, this is one of my weird ideas that I've I've always had in my back pocket. Why, we we see uh, these days, especially in the playoffs, you know, Winnipeg has the whiteout teams, you know, the Calgary, it's the Sea of Red. Why don't, we get fans to all wear black at the end. And, and then you, you only at the end of the other team's goalie is looking at, and then just flip the puck in on him. Wouldn't he lose that in the, in, in all those, those black shirts? Would you, would that work? You give everybody reversible shirts. You know, you wear the black one and you flip them over to white when it's, uh, when the team switch sides. I feel like this, I feel like this could be a thing. What do you think? That I honestly, I don't know. That's that's a good question. You cover um, a team that wears black. I mean, the, the right. Knights could definitely make this happen. There are there are like I've played in buildings where the sight lines are harder to see the puck when it goes up above the glass, um, depending on the lighting. I don't know if I don't know if fans in, in I, I honestly do not know the answer to that. If the fans in black shirts would would help disguise the puck if it's up in the air. Um, but for sure, it would be harder to track than it is in like a whiteout in Winnipeg. For yeah, sure. exactly. Oh, it's man. like in baseball, they put the black background against, you know, against the pitchers. The you see eye, the yeah. white ball. It'd be the, uh, it'd be the same. You know what? Delete this from the podcast. I'm going to call up uh, Brandon Shanahan. I got an idea <laughs> to uh, the, the next time we run into Vasilevsky next year. Uh, I think we can make this happen. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. We'll leave it there. Jesse Granger, as always, thanks for, uh, for, for dropping by. Have a great week and, uh, we'll hit you up again next, uh, next Thursday. Cool. Thanks for having me guys. Thank you. All right. Listen, that, that's a brilliant idea, by the way, the black shirt. I idea. feel like that could work. I, I feel like, I feel like I'm onto something. Y- yeah. Like, you know, you're right. It has to be reversible shirts and yeah. you, you know, that end of the building, 
you just switch it up in the second period and man, you might be on. I and then you just, like yeah, you like just one of those flip myth, it in. Was it Mythbusters? Is that the yeah. show? Where yeah. like, I almost think like, like, like we need to try this out like somewhere. Yeah, we need to uh, get, I mean, well, it's the senators could do this, right? I yeah. mean, this is, this is, you guys, you change your uniforms every year anyways. Might oh, as well, uh, I, well we make this I thought, happen. I thought you were going down the road of, well, why don't they just make all the seats black? And well, then, yeah, you could do could yeah, do that. Too. I thought that's where yeah. you were going. Yeah, you just can't. I mean, you couldn't do it against the Leafs because there's no Senators fans in the building yeah, then. See, but uh, some one of the one of the other teams, you could probably yeah. make it happen. Yeah. Hey, a, a quick question for you. And I'm not. I'm not. A, you know, I hope you know me well enough to know that I'm not. I'm not trying to rub it in here. I just. I le- legitimately want to know how you're feeling as a Toronto fan. Like after Tampa swept Florida. Mm-hmm. Like, does that like as you go back and look at the Toronto Tampa series? Like, does it make you more angry? Like, or do you just feel indifferent? Like, like, how do you feel that Tampa barely got by Toronto and then swept Florida? Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it makes you feel potentially better about the Leafs team. And, and, you know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the whole, like, do you blow it up? Do you bring it back? If, you know, certainly if Tampa goes on and rolls to a Stanley Cup, then, that will uh, change your perception of of the Leafs, but it doesn't make it, it makes it more painful because they had them. They, it was right there. They were one goal away, um, and then you know you're you, even as you're in the middle of that series, you're thinking, man, we still got the Panthers to go through, and then you find out that the Panthers could have been could have been a piece of cake. We don't know how they would have matched up against the Leafs, but uh, it it makes it worse. And this keeps happening, by the way. This would. Uh, the Leafs in going back to that Boston series in 2013, the, the 4-1, um, that Bruins team after that series became unbeatable and they rolled all the way to the final and then and then ended up losing to Chicago. Um, but uh, again, they played Boston a few years ago. Boston goes to the final. And then obviously last year with Montreal, like uh, the, the, the Leafs keep losing these very close series against teams that then flip a switch and become unbeatable for a few weeks. So we're kind of used to this, but it just drives home like, man, one more goal and you really could have been onto something. But as always, it, they don't get that one goal. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's open up the, uh, the mailbag here. You can email us to the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. Why don't we start there with a voicemail? Because Matthew, who has uh, phoned into our podcast before, left us some voicemails, has done it again, and he's done some research here. Uh, so let's listen into Matthew's question for us this week. Uh, my question last time was about parity, and I gave some statistics regarding, you know, about only 33% of the league has won the Cup, and in the cap era, and that's a lower percentage than it was in the 16 years pre-cap. And I was asking about, you know, parity, and Sean made a good point that you should look at who actually got into the finals. So I ran those numbers as well and wanted to report and get your thoughts. If you look at the 16 years since the cap, the percent of teams that have made the finals is quite high. It's actually got 70%, which would go along with this notion that maybe there is some parity here, even though only 33% have won, 70% have made it. However, and this is where it got really interesting for me, if you look at the 16 years before the cap, 75% of the NHL made the finals in those 16 years before the cap. So my question is, maybe there is some parity, at least in making it all the way to the finals, but is it 
really just the salary cap to blame? Is there something else going on? Has it been this way for longer and we just feel like there's more parity now? Um, what do you guys think about that? All right, here we go, Sean. It's the great myth of parity in the NHL in the cap era. And Matthew's point is, hey, look, there's really about the same amount of teams are are getting to the finals in the 16 years since the uh, the cup, and really only about 30% of the teams are winning the championship. Like, uh, first of all, I think both of us want to say we appreciate the research that went into that. Uh, no, I, I don't we, want to say that. I, no. when, when, we, when we say we want research and we want people to do our work for us, <laughs> so we mean to prove us right. Yeah, don't, right. don't do it to contradict us. That's no, not what we're yeah, looking for. Yeah, just, exactly. If I say no. something that's wrong, let it go. It's just if I say something that's right that I want you to do hours of research to prove it for me. Yeah, but it's interesting stuff though, right? Like it, uh, yeah. uh, you know, 33% of teams have only won the Stanley Cup in the, sal- in the salary cap era and 70% have made it to the finals. But like like Matthew says, when you compare it to the 16 years before, it's pretty much the same number, right? It's it's similar, which is, I guess, surprising. Um, you know, again, the, the fact that it's not so much the variety of teams making it, although that is, I guess, one way you could look at at parity. Um, although, you know, when we're talking about comparing the, you know, this current version of the Lightning to 2015 to 2004, I, I think those start becoming very different teams. Uh, but it's it's the level of, you know, it kind of gets back to that thing that we've talked about before, where we we see these incredible Cinderella runs to the final. Yeah. And you sort of say, okay, there's your parody, right? The fact that at Montreal, the 18th place team can go to the final and, and you go on down the list, uh, but they never seem to win, which is the weird thing that could, that even predates the, uh, the, the, the salary cap uh, era. Uh, you know, you go back to the North Stars and you know, some of the other teams that, that made these miracle runs and then they run out of gas just at the finish line. Um, and I think you can point to some of those and say, that's parody. Um, that we see, you know, these uh, these unexpected teams making it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if it's if it does feel like it's similar teams year after year, then yeah, maybe that does go to the argument that uh, we're we're overstating the case when it comes to how much parity and randomness and everything else is in this league. All right. So again, appreciate that, uh, Matthew. The research and the don't voicemail. do it again. Don't, don't do it don't again. Don't do man. it again. No. Stop. No more using research to prove it's wrong. Uh, again, the voicemail, 845-445-8459. Let's take one email, too. This one comes in from Patrick, uh, who says, uh, hey, look, Jake Gensel wears number 59, David Perron, 57, Michael Bunting, Chris Letang were 58, Bo Horvat at 53. They're all good players, but they're wearing ugly jersey numbers, in my opinion. Do any jersey numbers make you guys cringe? That one comes in from Patrick. Yeah, Um <laughs> The number 34 makes me cringe and, and people who read my stuff know where that's from. Cause I, I sat down to do a piece once where I said some, and somebody asked me and I thought it was going to be simple. They said, what's the, the record for most goals in a season by somebody whose Jersey number matches their goal total. And what I have quickly found out was in the NHL, there's basically two types of stars. There's the stars that have the cool, unique high numbers that, that that's the trend that Gretzky started um, and you got guys, all sorts of guys wore 91 and 88 and, and 81 and stuff like that. And then you got the guys with the traditional low numbers. If you get the number nine or something like that, you're, you're a star. Um, you don't get the guys in the middle. You don't get the guys with a number in the 50s or the 40s and that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those weird things about uh, hockey that those are typically the sort of numbers that you get 
as a rookie, your first call up. And uh, in fact, there's a lot of guys that if you look in their their uh, hockey reference page, which tracks jersey numbers, you'll see like weird numbers. And you're like, I don't remember that guy wearing 58. And it's because he wore it for two games in his first call up. And then as soon as he was established, he changed numbers like Nikita Kucherov was another one, I think, where yep. he he wore some weird number for a while. And then as soon as he was, you know, on the team, he's like, give me 86. I want to, you know, I want a real number. Uh, so I guess in in one sense, it's kind of neat that those guys, um, if if that's how they got those numbers, that they stuck with it and they didn't turn around and ask for something better. Um, and and maybe also some of them have have history there and uh, and uh, reasons why they did it. But no, I generally speaking, those are ugly numbers for everybody except Steve Hines. We all agree that when he wore fifty seven, that was that was cool. That was money. Yeah, Kucherov was fifty six when he first broke in. Uh, yeah, NHL, that's course, a linebacker which, number, man. That's not uh, you don't you don't wear that uh, uh, if you if you can help it. Uh, and those that's like a that's a training camp number. Yeah, totally. So wait, so what is the answer to the question of who holds the record for scoring the most goals in a season in which they match their jersey number? Is it thirty four? Are, are you telling me you don't read every? Uh yeah. Post it. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the answer. At, I I went through the entire thing. Uh, slowly went insane uh, doing it, and then found out the answer was Austin Matthews uh, just a couple of years ago. He uh, he got his thirty fourth. It was a year where he was he missed a few games with injury, and so uh, he he finished with thirty four. Scored on Carey Price on the last night of the season to uh, to match his jersey number, and that was the that turned out to be the answer. And that was a couple of years ago, but I'm pretty I I know there's people who watch it now, and uh, I think there were a couple of guys who got into the range, uh, but didn't uh, didn't end up doing it uh, this year. You know, speaking of cringe jersey numbers, okay, I'm going to give you a number that, for obvious reasons, will probably never be worn again. Like, if you think about a hockey history, the, the number that's retired by every team is 99. Mm-hmm. And then every other number is fair game. Heck, you even saw Josh Hosang wear 66, right? So, like, there's a possibility that 66 is worn by somebody else. But I'll guarantee you no one will ever wear 69 again, right? Like, I... The last one was uh, about ten years ago. Yeah, uh, there's only been two players who wore it, and uh, uh, Andrew Desjardins was the guy what, what, he with wore San Jose. It with San Jose, I you know I will anyone ever wear it again? I'm not sure. I, no. Every every beer league team has a guy wearing it, so for I mean, sure, at some point, and it's and I don't know why it's always like the biggest dude too. Like you're just like, oh yeah, okay. That's uh, I. I don't think uh, we can put that up there with the ninety nine and and the other ones that I want back zero and double zero. Yeah, zero are and double not zero allowed by the NHL. Th- those are goalie numbers, man. That's those are fantastic goaltender numbers, and we don't allow it right now. So oh, yeah. let's bring them back. A- Andrew Desjardins and Mel Engelstad are the only two players to wear number sixty nine. Like, yeah. I feel like I'd love to, you know what? Somebody, one of us with the athletics should chase down Andrew Desjardins, get the backstory of how and why he got that number. And how does he feel that, that be, he yeah. might, he might be the last guy to ever wear that Jersey number. It's, it's gotta be a good feeling to be the greatest player to ever wear. Right. Number. Cause, cause Mel Engelstead played two games. Uh, and yeah, again, that, I think the fact that, yeah, he, I'm looking at his page now. He, he, he was 31. Uh, when he got up and, and played two games. And I think, yeah, we, it's got to be great. Look, making the NHL is an amazing accomplishment. But when you walk in there and the trainer hands you the jersey and you flip it over and see that's your number, you you kind of know that, you know, this maybe isn't, uh, I'm, I'm maybe not 
in the long-term plans here as right. much as I'd like to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, Again, email to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Let's wrap up the show like we always do on a Thursday. Take a little trip back in time. It's a little this week in hockey history. We've got two New York Rangers related things to hit on uh, this week. Let's start with May 24th, 1989. May 24th, 1989, Sean, the Rangers decide to relieve Phil Esposito from the dual role of general manager and head coach. Now, Espo's time in New York was short, but boy, oh boy, was it colorful. It was phenomenal. Um, <laughs> and, and, and most of us these days, you remember Phil Esposito, obviously, as the record-shattering offensive force of the 70s and, and maybe later as a, just a, a personality broadcaster. You know, he was instrumental in bringing Tampa. But I remember him, I choose to remember him as a GM because everybody who knows me knows I'm always whining and complaining about there's not enough trades and the GMs make it out like it's so tough. Um, not Phil Esposito. This guy was he was nuts when it came to trade. He made so many trades. Uh, I mean, go yeah. look up his trade page on you know NHL Trade Tracker or whatever other source you like, and it just goes and goes. And they're not little trades. Like I mean, he's trading three, four guys at a time, uh, just just constantly. Uh, famously, once traded for a coach, the only the only GM to ever pull that move <laughs> off. Traded for traded a first round pick. It ended up being fifth overall to the Nordiques for Michelle Bergeron back in the 80s. Um, just all sorts of wild trades um, because he was, I mean, he he played being an NHL GM like you'd play a video game. You just, I want to make my roster better. Those guys are a couple, a little bit better. Bring those on. I'll trade the guys I have. It it was just, uh, I mean, the, the sheer number of players. Like I said, go look it up because it's not, you know, a fifth round pick for this or that. It's four or five six-player trades over and over and over again you wonder how that team ever had any continuity um and and he was he went on to to also be the gm in uh tampa and and wasn't quite as wild but also there just just a ton of moves um for sheer it like when i put together my all entertainment team phil esposito was the gm of that team ahead of mike milbury hey like in terms of pure entertainment i think so wow yep I think so, because uh, uh, Mil- I mean, Milbury just got sad after a while. But yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll let Milbury be the uh, be the assistant GM slash uh, crowd control security guy. Shoe guy. Shoe guy. All right. Uh, one other, and this one, if you're a Devils fan, you're probably not going to appreciate this. We'll take you back to May 25th, 1994. And of course, to set the scene, the Devils are up three games to two in the conference final. And... Mark Messier famously says before uh, that game at the old Meadowlands, we're going to win. We're going to win game six, and we're going to force this back to a game seven. And then Messier, with a performance for the ages, uh, erases, I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was a 2 nothing Devils lead in the third period. Messier scores not once, not twice, but thrice. Last one into an empty net, seals it. And um, I love that. It was, I think it was Gary Thorne had the call back in the day. It was, it was phenomenal. Messier, natural hat trick for the Rangers, May 25th, 1994. Yep. Um, good use of the word thrice. Yeah. First of all, I want to say we don't nice, use it nicely enough. done. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's uh, it, it is both a great story and one that I'm not even Devils fans, uh, I'm sure, are sick of because holy smokes, is the NHL beat this into the ground. They, they're, their head office, their marketing department apparently thinks this was the only playoff run 
uh, and playoff series ever. But uh, it was it was great to do that on the road. I mean, the third goal was into an empty net, but yeah, it was still um, a real a real impressive performance. Led to uh, unfortunately the uh, genre of hockey guarantees where every time you know you you go to somebody. A, I'm sure someone's going to go to you know, like Nathan McKinnon today and be like, how do you feel about game six? And they'll be like, I feel good. And we'll all be like, whoa, Nathan McKinnon just guaranteed. Uh, he just pulled yeah. out his inner mind. Let's, let's watch the Mark Messier clip again for the 10,000th time. Um, but hey, I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta give credit where it's due. He did call the shot and, uh, and he paid it off. And then of course, uh, you know, leading to that big game seven, uh, that was, uh, uh, memorable in its own right. And apologies to, to devil's fans for continuing to, to bring this up, but you know what? You're, you're probably numb to it by now because wow, you ever get beat over the head with this, uh, constantly. Well, and, and the one good thing, if you're a devil's fan, at least you came back the next year and won the cup, right? Like, it's yes. not like that was you, you were so close and you couldn't close it out and you never like you literally got over it the next year, hopefully. Well, I, I, they didn't get over it. I'll tell you that right now. I know a few Devils fans. They did not get over it, but it. I'm sure it softened the blow. Yeah, for sure, to, to win those all those Stanley Cups. But uh, I wonder, I do wonder, you know, if you could hook a Devils fan up to a lie detector and say, how many of these three Cups would you give up <laughs> to win that series in 94, but then you lose to the Canucks? So you don't get a Cup out of it, but you take the Cup away from the Rangers. Oh, at least two, I think all- you're giving up two Cups. You you would think, right? I want to hear from Devils fans on that. How many cups would you give up? We we all still have 1940 now. Like we're still chanting that. They're into you know year 80, whatever it is of their Stanley Cup drought. You never have to hear Mato 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 again. You never have to hear about the guarantee again. Would you give up two of your three Stanley Cups for that? I I think you're you're for sure giving up that cup over the Ducks, right? Like you're like ah, we don't need that. That yeah. That was yeah, a boring probably, series. You're uh, fine with that one. Yeah. yeah. I Maybe you give up two. Maybe you give up two cups if you know it wipes out the misery of losing game seven. I want to hear from Devils fans on that one. That's, uh, tell me, tell me I'm crying. And if, if your answer is zero, you, I, I'll, I'll hear that too. But I feel like, I, and I feel like even Islander fans would chip in like one from the dynasty just to, you know, <laughs> exactly. Like when you don't have well, enough and your buddy reaches in, like here, I'll throw it. I'll throw a ten in for you. Like, I, I feel like we could make this happen. Yeah, the Islanders fans, but you know what? That, that couple of the North Stars, you, you take it. Like, just yeah. go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you can have that one. Yeah, that one seems good. All right, we will leave it there. Um, I can tell you that miraculously, my power has not come back on yet. I'm running off the generator, but maybe by the time we're back again next week, I'll get the power back. Fingers crossed. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. All right. We will leave it there. We want to thank everybody for joining us. If you have any uh, thoughts there, we I know we crowdsourced a couple of things there about goaltending and, uh, uh, you know, Devils fans there. Would you trade some cups for uh, for, for beating the, the Rangers 94? You can drop us an email to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. If you're not a subscriber with us, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. Uh, you'll get an annual subscription for a dollar a month for six months. And then uh, you can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. All of our bonus content available to you from our entire network. You'll start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. <laughs>